Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to finish up chapter 6 tonight um, as in our journey through Hebrews. So we've been in Hebrews for quite a while, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff in Hebrews. And I really, really would encourage you to go through and just read through Hebrews. Read through Hebrews a couple times as we're studying through. There's just so much that I can't cover and hear with you guys um, that I just wish I could. We would be in Hebrew for a long time, but um, trying to be a good steward of time and everything. Just, I really would encourage you, read through Hebrews um, as, we're, as we're thinking about uh, Jesus is greater, how Jesus is greater than, than everything. So past couple of weeks, we've talked about um, just really different responses to the gospel. We looked at last week um, just those who they, they see the full revelation of God, but they never commit. And they, they reach a point in their life where you, you've seen the full revelation of God. There's, there's nothing more to see. And you continue to reject it. They, they face the danger of becoming an apostate, of apostatizing, turning away from the faith to a point where they never can return. And so whether it's continual unbelief in the point of death or your heart becomes so hardened to God that you no longer can hear his voice. Jesus taught in Matthew 13 uh, about the parable of the sower, the different types of soils. <clears throat> he showed that there are many different responses to the gospel. Some people just outright reject the gospel. Some people get really excited about the gospel at first, but then they have nothing. They're, they're not grounded. There's nothing. There are no roots. And so they, they quickly wither away. Some people, they, they may seem like they're excited about the gospel, but then they come to a point where they just decide that the things in life are more important that, than the gospel, than Christ. And so they just, the, the weeds, the cares of the world just choke out the gospel and they no longer pursue Christ. But there are some who hear it and they receive it and they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The author of Hebrews has addressed the kinds of, the different kinds of responses to the gospel that, that he sees in his audience. You, you have some who just, they flat out reject the faith. They're hanging on to Judaism. They're like, I'm not leaving my good old religious tradition. I know I see Christ here, but I'm not responding to that. Some people, they've received the gospel, but they're spiritually immature. They're not growing in the faith. They're needing someone to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. They're, they're having to relearn the ABCs of the Christian faith. Some, as we looked at last week, they heard the gospel. They've seen the truth of Christ, yet they turn away. They're like, no, nah, I'm not going to receive that. They turn away and fall away from the faith. But we see some have received the gospel. They believed in Christ and they're faithfully loving and serving him. And so after giving a really harsh warning at the beginning of chapter six, really verses four through eight, after this harsh and difficult warning about those who receive the gospel, they've, they've fallen away. The author undoubtedly recognizes the need to encourage those and, and to uh, Build those up to assure the believers who actually do believe of their uh, of, to kind of assure them of their salvation. The rest of chapter six, what we're going to look at tonight, uh, focuses on giving assurance to believers <clears throat> who have trusted God and the certainty of His promises that He has to His people. The author recounts God's promise to Abraham, highlights Abraham's faith in God, his confident trust in God to fulfill His promises that He has made. And tonight, as we're reminded of the certainty of God's promises, two things come to mind. Let's look back at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Flip over maybe a page or two, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and read this with me. 
For good news came to us, talking about believers, just as to them, those who did not believe. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So there's a difference of those who, who they've not, the, the, what God is, the same message has not been met by faith, and therefore the Israelites didn't enter the promised land. But those who do believe, who do trust in Christ and believe in His promises, have entered into that rest. God promises that those without faith will not enter into His rest. But God also promises that those who do believe in Him, those who do trust in His promises, will enter into His rest. So tonight as we're talking about the certainty of God's promises, be certain of those two things. That those who do not believe will not enter God's rest. But those who do believe, and that's what we're focusing on tonight, will enter into God's rest and receive the promises that He has made. So let's, let's, let me pray and then let's read uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9-20. through 20. Father, as we come before you tonight, just thinking about your word, Lord, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you bless the teaching of your word? Would you help us to, to have ears that would hear your word correctly and, and minds that would understand it and, and be able to comprehend what your word says? Would you give us hearts that would lovingly and readily receive your word uh, and, and just be ready to live for you in obedience? God, would you bless these students and help them to be confident of the faith. God, if they are saved by your grace, God, would you please give them assurance of that and certainty of the promises you've made. And God, for students here who do not know you, have not yet trusted. Maybe they've been in church their whole life. Maybe they know and they're familiar with the gospel, but they've not committed their lives to Christ. Would you, would you just call students to salvation tonight? Lord, would you bless this time? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, begin in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It seems to be very common among people to, to doubt their salvation, to doubt God, to, to wonder at some point in their life. It just seems to be common to, for, for someone to question, am, am I really saved? 
Do, do I really have assurance of my salvation? I remember when I was in youth, when I was, when I was sitting where you are, I really went through a period of my life where I wrestled with this. I, I really doubted whether I was saved. I, I just looked at my life and was like, am I, am I really saved? Did God really save me? Can I really trust God to save me? And, and I, I struggled with this. I, I wrestled back and forth. I would read the scriptures. I would wonder. I would, I would do different things. I, would, I was just questioning. Well, I remember talking to my youth pastor, Derek. I remember talking to him and, and talking to my parents. And both, everybody just pointed me to the scriptures. Just pointed me to the scriptures and showed me. Just, just told me to read and to, to see the fruits and the characteristics of a person who is a child of God. I remember looking at that. I remember looking at my own life. I remember looking at the fruits that God was producing in my life. That a, a, a new life that was not natural to me, but God had given me. I was reminded of Philippians 1.6 that God who began a good work in me would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I began to notice these things and, and God just began to give me assurance of my salvation. Through His Word, through other people, just recognizing God working in my life. I was reminded of my love for God. I was reminded that I really did love God. I was reminded that I really did love the church. That I really loved serving God, serving people. My greatest desire was to serve God. All of this was evidence in my life that God had given me new life in Him. These things were not natural desires for me. But because God had given me new life in Christ... Because I could see fruitfulness in my life, I was assured of my salvation. And that's the first thing we see here tonight about one of the certainties of God's promise. One is we have the assurance of our fruitfulness. The assurance of our fruitfulness. Fruit in our lives that God gives us. The comparison that the author of Hebrews makes in verses 9 through 12 is to those who he previously talked about in verses 4 through 8, who, who never, they were on the edge, they were really close, but they never made a commitment to Christ. They never, they never really fully committed to Christ. Those who, it seemed like they were bearing some fruit, but they, they really didn't. And they, they left the faith. They fell away from the faith. It may have seemed like they bore fruit at times, but, but they never bore the fruit of the Spirit. They never committed to Christ. In verses 9 through 12, the author is confident of those he's writing to who are bearing fruit. Look back with me at uh, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, anytime you see the word beloved in Scripture, that's a very unique word. It's, it's, has, it's only used in reference to believers. I believe I read uh, when I was studying this that it's used 60 times in the New Testament. The first nine times it's used, it's used by God referring to Jesus as His beloved Son. The other 51 times referred to other Christians. Beloved, ones who are dearly loved by God. So beloved. So look back at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, those who are dearly loved by God, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. What that basically is saying is, hey... Ones who are loved by God, God does not ignore what you're doing. He sees the work you're doing. He sees how you're serving others and ministering to other believers. He, he's, he's not ignoring what you're doing. He sees you. He knows what you're doing. You, you love Him and God notices that. Those who are faithfully serving the Lord because they had a genuine love for God, that it was proof that they had been saved. Those who were living in obedience to God's commands. The author reminds the believers that, that God is not unjust. God is a just. He is a righteous. He is a fair God. God knows those who are His. And He sees the work 
that His people do for His name's sake. And let this, let this be a reminder to you to always persevere in serving the Lord. Sometimes when you serve the Lord, it can, it can be a little wearisome. You can grow tired. You can just wonder, is it really worth it? Is this really making a difference? Let this be a reminder to you that God sees you. God sees the work that you do for Him. God has created us. He has saved us, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. He saved us by grace, through faith, for good works. And He has given us those good works. He's prepared those good works for us from before the foundation of the world. And so God has given us good works that we are to walk in. And so as we go about living and serving the Lord, doing these good works, serving the church, serving, trying to reach others around us for Christ, that doesn't go unnoticed. God knows that. God is always at work. And He always sees you. He knows the work His children do for His name's sake. Mark chapter 9, verse 41 says this, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose His reward. Give somebody a cup of water. That's a very simple, seems like a meaningless thing to do. But those who care for other believers... One who, who gives you a cup of water because you belong to Christ. Being, having this relationship with other believers. Serving one another. It does not go unnoticed. God, does, God promises His rewards. He pays attention. God knows your heart. And He sees you. The author expresses his desire for everyone to have the same earnestness. Everyone to show the same earnestness. You see that in verse uh, 10, or sorry, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end. He he's he's, he desires that everyone have the same diligence, the same eagerness to, to show Christ, to, to, have, to work at this, to show earnestness in the faith so that your faith grows. So to be eager to serve, to be eager to, to, to grow in the Lord so that your faith grows and that gives you greater assurance of the hope that you have in Christ. Think about it. As you serve others, you find joy in that and just it helps kind of you grow in your faith. Really, you can't grow in your faith apart from serving Christ. And so as you serve, it helps to solidify your faith and helps to, you to, to grow stronger in your faith. In verse 12, the word sluggish is mentioned again. It's the same word as what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where the, those who were immature in the faith, those who were spiritual babies, they had become too lazy to understand deeper things. They had become dull of hearing. They were just, they didn't care about, they just really were being lazy spiritually, not pursuing the deeper things of God. They were very content with a basic level of Christianity. They were very content with the ABCs. They didn't want to go any farther than that. The same word is used to say, hey, don't be like that. Go on to maturity. Don't be lazy. Don't be sluggish. Have an earnestness to grow in the faith, to serve the Lord, to serve others. Don't be lazy. Consider those who have inherited the promises of God. And then he moves in to talk about Abraham, which we're about to get to. But strive to be like those who take their faith seriously. Strive to be like those who are strong in the faith, who have confident faith in God. And in a culture used to having results, and answers and expectations met instantaneously. I mean, you just played a game where a lot of saw a lot of you looking up on your phone certain answers. But like, you know, you, we're, we're used to, you can cook a meal in a microwave. If you have a question, you don't have to wait to find somebody who knows the answer. You can Google it. You can, you can call somebody if you need something. Immediately, you have your answer. You have what you need. In this kind of culture, sometimes it can be really hard to wait on God and to trust in God. 
Because a lot of times we want it in our control where we can instantly have it. But to exercise patience and to wait and to, to demonstrate trust and faith in God, it, it can be really difficult at times. But we are to persevere, to have assurance of hope until the end, knowing, having confidence in God that He will fulfill His promises. So the first assurance we can see in our lives is the fruitfulness that God is working in our lives. Second thing that we have assurance is, is, is in God's faithfulness. We have assurance of God's faithfulness. <clears throat> really, when you think about it, though, how do we know we can trust God? Uh, we, we've grown up saying that. You know that you can trust God. How do we really know that we can trust God? Can we truly trust that God will make good on His promises to us? Well, we can. We can have certainty of God's promises because God has proven His faithfulness. We can have assurance of His faithfulness. The author emphasizes uh, the certainty we have in God's promises by reminding the Jews of one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament, Abraham. Right? Abraham, their physical father, the physical father of the nation of Israel, but also the spiritual father of all who will come to Christ in faith, who all of the one who will, who will by faith trust in Him. He's the physical father of the nation, but also the spiritual father of those who trust in God by faith. So let's think about Abraham for a second. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to leave his country, to leave his family, and to go to a place that God would show him. He said, hey, leave here, go there. And then God promises, he said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then God promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. God promised this. Genesis chapter 21. You know, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they didn't have any kids. And so when you think about this, Abraham's like, okay, yeah, I believe you, God. I don't have any kids, but you promised that you will make, you'll, you'll multiply my offspring. You'll make me great. You'll bless all the nations of the earth. How's this going to happen? Well, Genesis chapter 21, God fulfills the promise by giving him his son, Isaac. God promised that Abraham would have a son, and God promised Isaac. And it would be through his son Isaac that we would see the Messiah would come. Then, the very next chapter, God tells Abraham to do something. What did God tell Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 22? To sacrifice his own son Isaac. Hey, the son I just gave you, the only son you have, the one I promised you, go sacrifice him. You know what Abraham did? Immediately got up and went away. He got up and went and sacrificed and was going to sacrifice Isaac. He walked up to Mount Moriah and he was ready to worship the Lord, to sacrifice him to the Lord. And without hesitation, he obeyed God. And just before Abraham was going to butcher his own son, God intervenes and provides a sacrificial lamb, a ram that was stuck. That He, he intervened and provided. And so we see that without hesitation, Abraham completely trusted God. When, he was, when God called him to leave his family, to leave his, his home, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where Canaan was. He just was going. He was going. And God, he trusted God was going to lead him and get him there. When God told him to sacrifice his only son through whom all the nations would be blessed, Abraham said, okay, Lord, I trust you. Whatever this looks like, I trust you completely. And that's exactly what he did. The point in the author mentioning Abraham is that Abraham completely trusted God to fulfill his promises. Without hesitation, he completely trusted God. And so when we think about our lives, you know, you're going to encounter times in your life where you 
life where you're like Abraham. You don't know where you're going. God calls you to do something. You don't know where it is. God calls you to do something that, hey, Abraham, sacrifice your only son to me. And you're like, hold up. God asked you to do something like that, to give up something that he has promised you. If God turns around and asks you to give it up, will you, without hesitation, trust God? Do you trust God? He's proven himself faithful. The father of faith, the father of the faith that we see in Abraham, that he's mentioned to show the, the, the seriousness of how God keeps his promises. God fulfills his promises. He is a trustworthy God. He will fulfill every promise he, can, he has made. And we can trust Him to fulfill the promises that He has made to us. In the Old Testament, people would make oaths. And they would swear by something higher than themselves. They wouldn't just, you know, in the Old Testament, people would say, they would make an oath or make a commitment to do something. And, and their word was their bond. We don't see that a lot today because people lie like crazy today. But they would, they would say something and then they would swear, uh, maybe say something in the name of God. And it meant that they were sure to fulfill their promise. It was, it was going to happen. We don't see that so much today. You know, people break promises. People lie. You ever had somebody just lie to you? Break a promise that they made to you? Yeah, people do that. Friends, family, politicians lie all the time. Just, we see all kinds of people lie. Young people. I think about a lot of young people, my generation and younger you know, a lot of young people are taught to only trust in this. To not trust anybody. There's just a kind of a, a basic, just I guess people are just being taught just to just don't trust anybody. You have to figure everything out for yourself. You have to trust your own life experiences. And when you think about this in a, in a real world example, think about the whole sexual revolution that's happening in our world. People are being told, kids, young people are being told, hey, don't trust what the older generations say about sexuality, about gender, about anything else. You know, you experience whatever you feel. And you need to go through that experience for yourself and determine what you find to be true. Rather than trusting in those who know truth, who have been through it, they're just taught to immediately discredit those around them. This is our culture. This is the culture we live in. And then you mix that with people who lie constantly, people who, who who don't make good on their promises. It's very hard at times to really trust people. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He has proven himself trustworthy time and time again. As verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. He will not deny himself. He is putting his name on the line every time he makes a promise. Think about it. If God said, I'll make this promise to you and he didn't fulfill it, he would not be a trustworthy God. He is putting his name, his reputation, his character on the line every time he makes a promise. And he has fulfilled every promise he has made. And he will make good on his promises. And we can trust him. But going back to making oaths, you know, God knows we struggle. And so his word is good enough. Knowing who he is, knowing who God is, he doesn't lie, he doesn't change, he is trustworthy. That is enough. But to even just to show us, because he knows we're weak and we're going to struggle, he gives us an assurance. He gives us an oath. He, he kind of gives us uh, a promise with an oath, which I believe is the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this. In him, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, uh, sorry, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
whole, God has given us the Holy Spirit. Say, hey, I promise, think about salvation. God has promised to save those. He will always hold those who are His. He will not lose anybody. He has promised us eternal salvation for those who believe in Him. And then He has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Say, hey, just in case you doubt, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Who will comfort you, who will encourage you, who will guide you and lead you to give you assurance of your faith. So we can have assurance that God is certain to keep His promises because God is faithful. It doesn't depend on us. When we're faithless, guess what? God is faithful. Our salvation doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. And God is faithful. He is trustworthy. And He will make good on every one of His promises. And so the church, the church, we who, as you see at the end of uh, kind of verse four, of verse 18, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We can have strong encouragement in God because we know God is faithful. We know God will keep His promises. And we can have hope in Him because He is faithful. But lastly, finally, we have the assurance of Jesus as our forerunner. We have assurance of our fruitfulness, God working in our lives. We have assurance of God's faithfulness. And now we have the assurance of Jesus as our forerunner. Our forerunner. Jesus as our faithful high priest. Jesus, the one who keeps us sure and steady because he has entered into the inner place behind the curtain. Think about this, the the Levitical priesthood system. Unlike every other high priest throughout Jewish history, the high priest, once a year, you know this, they would go into the most holy place, right? They would go into the holy holies, and then they would turn around and get out, right? They didn't stay there. They would do this every year. Then they would go day by day making sacrifices to, to, to postpone God's wrath. They would go into the holy place, and they would turn around and leave. Why? Because they couldn't stay in the presence of God. But Jesus, chapter 1, verse 3, after making purification for sins, Jesus did what? He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. What does that mean? That means Jesus stayed. He wasn't like every other priest who went in and went out. Jesus went in and stayed and he remains forever as our high priest interceding for us so that when we sin, we have a high priest who makes atonement for our sin, who has made and is continually interceding for us. He has gone behind the curtain as a forerunner on our behalf. What is a forerunner? The word forerunner is only used here in the New Testament. And it refers to one who goes before with the intent of others coming behind. So you think about one who, who goes out. You think about the, uh, the, I guess the founding fathers, those who came over here to America, came over here and others came. We have kind of those who came behind them. They didn't come and then leave. They came in order to establish a new country and for others to come along behind them. Anybody who started something with the intent of others following behind them. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and he stayed there. And he went as a forerunner with the intent of all who would come to him in faith would enter in after him. All the high priests of the Levitical system, they acted as representatives. One who would go and they would represent the people before God, but the people were not allowed in the most holy place. What Jesus did is he, on the cross, when the veil was torn in two, when the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, Jesus made a way as our foreigner. He went in behind the curtain to the most holy place and then made a way for us to enter into God's presence. So we don't have to go through a high priest. We don't have to go through a mediator. We go to Jesus, who is our high priest, who has made a way for us to go in. 
He introduced us to full fellowship with God. 1 John 1.3. Super Summer folks, you should have this memorized. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have full fellowship with God because of what Jesus has done. Going before us as our forerunner and inviting us in after Him to enter into the presence of God, which is made possible in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And that's just an amazing thing that Christians have hope. I've met many people in my life who are just hopeless. They, they don't know, they, they don't have any assurance, they don't have any confidence in anything, they have no hope. And, and being hopeless is a very horrible place to be. But in Christ we have hope because He has entered behind the curtain. He has made a way where we can come into the presence of God. He is the assurance we have of eternal life and of fellowship with God. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to go through life wondering, am I saved? Can I know God? Can I have a relationship with God? What about my sin? How? We don't have to go through life wondering these things. We can have assurance because we have hope that Christ, who is our forerunner, one who has gone before us to make a way for us to enter into God's presence, we have hope in Him. At the end of verse 20, the author has finally come back around to kind of the main point of the book of Hebrews. The, the main point, what he began to discuss in chapter 5 about the priestly order of Melchizedek. So we're going to chapter 5 and, and we come to this guy named Melchizedek. And, and the author of Hebrews is trying to explain Jesus' priestly ministry, which is the theme of the book of Hebrews. The priestly ministry of Jesus. And he has to stop for a minute because he has to go back and explain to these people who are really spiritually immature. You can't even understand the priestly ministry of Jesus because you don't want, because all you know is the basics. You're on a very superficial level. You've not studied enough. You, you, you're not understanding the depths of Christ because you're just on a basic level. You can't understand Melchizedek. Now let me, let me take a minute and, and chastise you guys. And now let me encourage you who believe. And then he finally gets to the priestly order of Melchizedek. He's warned those who don't believe what will happen. And he's assured those who do believe of the certainty of of God's promises. That Jesus is our great high priest. God gives us assurances. So that we can be certain of his promises. And I'm very thankful that we can be certain of God's promises. And you need to be thankful. That we can have certainty that God is trustworthy. That God fulfills his promises. There will be times in your life. Where you're tempted to doubt God. There will be times in your life where you're tempted, you're tempted to doubt, will God really make you his promises? There will be times in your life where you just struggle to, to trust Him. You think, maybe, maybe you'll think, I've sinned so badly, there's no way God can still love me. I've sinned so badly, do I, do I, am I really saved? If I was really saved, then I wouldn't have done this. Or, and there will be times where Satan will try to tempt you. Satan will, will try to steal your joy. will try to destroy you. But know this, Christian, you are eternally secure in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. Nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You're eternally secure in Christ. And God gives us certainties. He gives us assurances. So when you are tempted to doubt, as the hymn writer said, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, 
Upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. And then in another verse he says, My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. And so when you're tempted to doubt, when you need assurance of salvation, when you feel like the, the way the world is just tearing you apart, you just don't know, and you feel like you just don't know where you are in life, look to God. Look to Jesus. Don't look at the circumstances around you. Look at Jesus. And, and God will give you assurances. God has given us assurances in His Word. If you ever struggle, if you're doubting, go to His Word. See what God has said. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Look at the Word of God to see and to be assured. Because God fulfills His promises. God is certain about His promises. And those who do not trust in Him will not enter into His rest. Will not inherit eternal life. But those who do trust in Him have the confidence in Him. And so no matter what you face in life, you can be confident in God's promise. God will never fail to keep His promises. We are eternally safe in Jesus. And we are invited in to have fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Our forerunner and the great high priest on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God who makes good on his promises. That you keep your promises. That we don't have to doubt, God, that you are trustworthy. We can be assured and we can have confidence in you because of who you are. And God, I pray that you would just remind us here tonight, God, those of us who are believers, you would remind us of your salvation that you've given us. You would assure us and give us confidence in you. Give us confidence to trust you, to trust your promises, to know that you will never fail. God, I pray that for anyone who may be struggling, maybe doubting the promises of God, maybe struggling to really trust in you, God, would you help us, help that person to trust in you? Remind them of your faithfulness throughout generations. Remind them of your faithfulness in their life. And God, may we all leave here tonight with greater confidence in you and who you are, that you keep your promises. And may we live our lives living in in confidence in Christ and telling others about who you are and what you've done for us as our great high priest. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.